Yo, 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 what's up, what's up? You're back at it again with Ryan Elliott and Our Thoughts. I'm here with my good man, JC. Yes, Mr. sir, yes, sir. How you doing, brother? Can't complain, I'm blessed, man. I understand, I understand, man. It's raining out here, bro, it's crazy. Yeah, the sun come out. Yeah, yeah, for real, man. I came over to camp, bro, and I was just like, man, it's all depressing and stuff. People about to graduate, man. I'm feeling sad. You about to get out of here, man. How you feel about that? Very bittersweet. I feel like I'm prepared, but I'm definitely gonna miss A and T. Yeah, man, but I know you ain't. I know. I know you ready for that check, boy. I know that check about to be fat, man. That's what's up, man. So listen, I'm gonna let the people know who you are and everything, and let you, you know, tell them who you are and everything like that. Go ahead, man. My name is Jordan Carter, graduating senior, um, architectural engineering student from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, that's really the old just right there, man. Yeah. Bad, 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 bad. That's what's up, man. That's what's up. So we met, I want to say, what? Probably freshman. Freshman year. It was like towards the end of freshman year because I know we was in. I know we we met like definitely like that last that last semester. And then we kind of got closer, I want to say, sophomore year. Sure. So it was it was tough, bro. And uh, I can always say the love being real, bro. Because I always looked at you. I was like, damn. This nigga smart as hell. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's smart as crap, man. So, you know, I always was like, man, let me see what this man Jordan doing with his life so I can, you know, get mine together. And, you know, during that time period, you know, when I was, you know, I'm, you know, in school and stuff like that, you know, I still kept in contact with you and you, was, you know, you always showed me love, bro. But um, today's episode, um, don't necessarily have a title for it yet, but um, we just going to kind of be talking about, you know, you and you know your, you know your major and your career, and then the things that you're gonna kind of be doing after that. How that sound, bro? That sounds good. Let's get it. That's tough. That's tough. So architectural, architectural engineer. It's so, a tongue twister. Yeah, yeah it's a tongue <laughs> twister for real, man. So you know what kind of motivated you to get into that field? Like what kind of drove you to that passion to where you building things and stuff like that? So just like in general, uh, the reason why I even came to NT in the first place because I was on the website. I had to do like a research. You know, for college prep class, mm-hmm. um, just doing research at different schools, trying to get our minds right and get focused on about where we should apply to and everything. And I ran into the A&T website and I seen like on the bottom, it was like graduated the top African-American um, engineers. So this definitely, uh, yeah. <laughs> this definitely like <laughs> stuck with me because I was like, A&T is going to put me in a position to succeed, not only, you know, as an engineer, but, you know, um, being African-American, they're going to have the resources for me, and I'm going to be surrounded by people that look like me, so I felt like it would be a perfect fit. Yeah. So, by that time, I already knew I wanted to be an engineer. Um, For my middle school, I didn't take the typical route and go to my zone school. Right. Um, I went to a school, it was a majority white school, like. 40 minutes on the other side of Baltimore County. Mm. And the reason I went because it was a STEM school and it had the engineering magnet. Mm. So this really helped me like learn more about engineering and I knew I always would like building things, designing things. So just being in that program, it really made me realize like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to be an engineer. So then looking at the majors that A&T had to offer, they had this thing called architectural engineering. I never seen it before. Because, like, a part of me wanted to be an engineer, but another part of me, like, loved buildings, loved mansions. I wanted to combine both of them. So I was like, this is a good opportunity. That's tough. So this is a perfect major. 
um, to utilize like my design skills, my creativity, but at the same time, you know, learn the engineering aspect of it. Right, right, right. So I want to say this. So from like watching, you know, for the average person, you know, we all sit here and we got the cut. You know, our perception about, you know, what an engineer is. And the first perception, I know I say this as a joke with you a lot. Man, let me get some bread because I know you're going to get, you know, I know you're going to have that bread. But, you know, one thing I kind of want to, you know, maybe put into realization for some people, that bread comes with a whole bunch of work with it as well. You know, it's a lot of time and, you know, sweat put into it. Kind of talked about that craft that comes with being, you know, an architectural engineer and, you know, the type of time and things that you have to put into that type of um, stuff. So I think the reason why a lot of people think you know engineers are making money because it's like engineers are put in um, manager positions. Yeah. Um, as an engineer, you got to be a problem solver. So companies are gonna pay you know engineers big bucks because they feel like they're capable of solving these problems. Yeah. Um, you know, as an engineer in your uh, courses, you know, you solving problems. There's no multiple choice. Like it's just you giving a statement and you gotta figure it out. Yeah. And you got to work in the team to do it. Right. So I think that's why, um, you know, majority of engineers are getting paid big bucks because they have that problem-solving mindset. And I always like to say, like, you don't need to go through engineering uh, curriculum to be an engineer. Yeah, true. If you problem-solve, you could call yourself an engineer. Like, it sucks, like, in capitalism and then just, like, in the world in general, yeah. we got to get licensed to be called certain things. I mean, I could see the reason for that, yeah. for the credibility. True, true, but true, true. I think that also discourages a lot of our kids because, like, a lot of people would want to be architects until they got to find out they got to do more school after undergrad. Yeah. Then they got to get the license for it. It's just, like, shying them away from the idea. Yeah. But really, if they have that creative mindset and they got ideas, they are architect. Call yourself an architect. You know what I'm saying? That's so, yeah. Tough. But basically, um, architectural engineers, we focus on, you know, the building systems. So fire protection, structural, electrical, mechanical, and a design aspect. Everything to make sure the, um, the building functions. So that's what architectural engineers, so we study. So Bluefoot, I want y'all to know everybody who hears this. My man JC can build Bluefoot and all types of stuff. So, you know, you need your house, shout out, you know, look them up. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, that's big, bro. And honestly, the way you brought that down, mechanical, electrical, all those different things that kind of are compartmentalized into the architectural engineer, that's a lot to learn, you know what I'm saying? Sure. And so I'm pretty sure, you know, that workload was rigorous here. You know, I barely saw you at parties myself, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, you know, I you know, I used to text you something, hey, what you doing, man? Da, 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 da. Oh, I'm working, I'm chilling, you know? So I always, like, admire you from that standpoint. But, like, what kind of toll did that workload kind of take on, like, maybe your, you know, maybe personal life and the things that you kind of went through here on campus? For sure. So, like, when I told my mom I wanted to be an engineer, she was like, you know, like, they don't go out, like, no partying. I'm like, man, I'm not trying to hear that. <laughs> so when I actually got to school, I figured something out that worked for myself, like, I'm an engineer, and yeah, we have a lot of homework, um, some tough classes, but I'm going to do that during the week. Yeah. So that way, by Friday night come, I'm not doing no homework. Saturday night, I'm not doing no homework. I'm chilling. Like, you got to find that work-life balance just for your your mental health, Yeah. your physical health, so you can be straight and focused. So when you actually, you know, ready for the test and everything, you're not, you're not distracted. That's tough. So actually, like, I mean, I spent a lot of my, you know, days in McNair or in Bluefield studying, but also on Fridays, Saturdays, I made sure, you know, um, to be more social, hang out with people that I love that's going to you know, 
uh, have a good time so I could be straight mentally. Yeah, I feel that, man. And that, 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 that work and life balance is key, I think, in even just beyond, you know, school. You know, you, you got to have a work-life balance. You can't be all work and not have any play because then you're just going to be like, you know, some, you know, some plank on the wall. You know, like you ain't right. going to have no personality and, you know, you know, people want people with character. So, you know, <clears throat> as far as, you know, the different courses you have to take, what's to say we have, you know, a young man trying to come in. He says, man, I want to be an arch- architectural engineer. Mm-hmm. What are the things that I can take in high school? What are the things I can take in middle school that can kind of prepare me for that workload when I get to college? What would you kind of say to that person or that young female or that young man? For sure. Well, I'll say this. Um, specifically in the black community, I feel like we should focus more on, um, you know, trades. Yeah. Um, specializations. Like, a lot of high schools, especially in, um, you know, the inner cities, mm-hmm. they have, you know, trades, magnet schools. Yeah. I would say I would encourage people to go um, enroll in those type of schools. Yeah. Choose a major or choose a, you know, a magnet that you might be interested in. Yeah. If you go through it and you don't like it, then now you know. Now you don't got to... Um, enrolling a major in college and then changing your major and now you're a year or semester behind. Yeah. So definitely utilize those resources. Um, make sure you're taking, you know, design classes, um, drafting classes if they're offered, and then just making sure that you're on pace in your math. So when you get to school, you know, you're not you can place out of it. That way you're on track. Mm-hmm. That's tough. That's tough. And 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 I think that's the the scariest part I know for me, bro. Like I'm not going to sit here and say I, I'm like you know atrocious in math. Like I can't do not one math problem. I think I could probably do, you know, up to, you know, my eights and times tables. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, like most people, you know what I'm saying? But you know, I think that's the stigmatism, you know, and I think that's the stigmatism that gets put on a lot of people, especially African-Americans, exactly. you know, because you don't see a lot of African-American engineers. Like, for you, bro, you're almost like when a caveman sees fire, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, oh, dude, you're an engineer, architectural engineer. Like, oh, that's tough. And it's so crazy yeah. because, you know, we go to, like you said earlier, mentioned earlier, one of the number one producers for, you know, African-American engineers in the world. So, you know, you come to this place and, you know, you're surrounded by it. But once you go into that workforce, you know, the scarcity is real. Kind of speak towards, you know, that workforce or that, you know, corporate America that you're about to head into to where, you know, it's not going to be like your classes that you had every day here on exactly. camp. You know what I'm saying? It's definitely going to be a culture shock, um, like interviewing, um, going to different company events. You know, it's not many people that look like me, yeah. um, especially in high positions. So it's definitely going to be a culture shock. It's one of my fears, you know, going to the next chapter of my life. Yeah. But um, I met a lot of people that, like, see me in a room, and we're the only people that look alike. And yeah. they, you know, they give you that talk or that look. Yeah. And they give you the real talk. And they say, you know, it's not many of us, but, you know, we got to work twice as hard. Like, you know, you heard the speech over and over again. Yeah. So one thing I learned to do is uh, code switch. When I'm in these corporate areas, you know, I still have my culture. I'm going to still be myself because that's what makes me. I'm not going to give that up. But at the same right. time, you got to learn how to, you know, switch it up. And it's not really selling your soul or anything, but you got to know how to talk the way they talk yeah. so we can get in higher positions and infiltrate the system. Yeah. So that's just one thing that I've learned. Also, because, you know, they got the resources. They, you know, you have the education, but sometimes yeah. you need to, you know, use them and they can help you. And then that way y'all could find, like, the even playing field so they can understand 
think a lot of it comes from a misunderstanding. Yeah. They just don't understand our culture. So if you, you know, you're able to talk to them and try to, you know, find a common ground, then maybe you're not going to have that much conflict. And that's, bro, I'm over here, in, and I know these people can't see me, but I'm over, here, <laughs> I'm over here geeking because when you brought up that code switch, that is, like, so big for me because... You know, <clears throat> I learned about code switching, you know, early on in life, you know, and I, I, I want to say, you know, some of it was contributed because of, you know, my parents, you know, my mom worked in corporate America, my father worked in corporate America. So, you know, kind of seeing, you know, how they, you know, transition and interacted with their, you know, business partners who weren't like them or, you know, of their demographic. It was big, you know, so, you know, I used to go to those cookouts and, you know, I used to play with, you know, little Susie and, little, you know, you know, Timothy and them, you know, so. You know, I always was, you know, privy to, you know, those different cultural backgrounds, but you really hit the head with that code switching because you got to know how to speak their language. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, you know, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, you know, that's a big saying that I live by, you know, and it's, you're right, it's not about selling yourself out, but, you know, being who, you know, being who you are, you're not going to go to church and start breakdancing, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, you can, but you're going to look awkward, you know, so... Mm -hmm. I think that's big. So, you know, as far as the companies and the different things that you looked at, what is the biggest piece of experience you feel like you've gotten from, you know, your internships or your co-ops that you've kind of been a part of? Because I know you've been a part of it. You, 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 you like Mr. Jimmy. You're the black Jimmy Neutron in my mind, you know. But kind of give these people the understanding of, like, what it's like to actually do what you do, you know, in that, in that, in that position and stuff like that. So I had a couple internships. Um they were basically general contractors, uh, you know, companies that oversee um, construction of, you know, a project. Yeah. Um, Some gets designed by an architect and then a general contractor oversees the construction. So basically, like, working as an intern, it's kind of crazy because you think interns, you know, copying paper or doing errands. Yeah. But as an intern, as a general contractor, you're managing the subcontractors. Okay. So they put you in this position, even though you're still in school, you're still learning, you haven't graduated yet. Yeah. And they have you managing people that's been doing this trade for what, 20 years? And they're looking at you like you're crazy. Yeah. So nothing in my curriculum or through my, uh, my engineering classes has taught me how to manage people. Right. So these internships are a great experience because they're giving you something that's valuable that you're not getting in the classroom. Yeah, this is the real world. So, yeah, I really appreciated my internships. It's kind of like humbled me. Yeah. And definitely shocked me and definitely uh, helped me grow, you know, as a person and as an engineer. Definitely, definitely. And that kind of speaks to those soft skills that you kind of develop, you know, when you're on those jobs, because, you know, soft skills are very important. You know, being able to, you know, properly talk to people. Yes, sir. No, sir. You know, being able to know what to wear and know how to wear it, know how to talk, know how to lead and know how to manage. You know, definitely those are things that you don't learn at some places. And, um, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day about the, you know, the soft skills and things like that. I can say, you know, for me and my experience here at HBCU at the North Carolina, illustrious North Carolina Agriculture and Technical State University, you know, those, those teachers, those professors, I can't stress it enough, man. You know, if you have an opportunity to go to HBCU, especially my minority brothers and sisters, man, do it. 
because, you know, it's so much invaluable tools that you learn. And, you know, as my brother was just attesting to, you know, I'm pretty sure the things that he learned from his teachers, you know, who, you know, had his best interest, told him, you know, the different things to kind of, you know, keep him prepared and, you know, keep him on his toes and, you know, be able to manage those those different things. So I want to talk about that because that's that that was pretty cool what you said. <laughs> you know, you kind of, you know, you the man, you know, you know, on people on, on the job and managing those, you know, subcontractors and things like that. You know, you said it was, you know, it was different. But how how was those interactions? So I know you said someone was looking like you're crazy, but did the respect come? Like, how did you kind of like? show them like hey this is what i'm learning in the classroom and this is how you can apply it and then was it a situation where well this is what we do on the job and this is how we apply it and like was it like one of those things where y'all both learn from each other so the best advice that i've ever gotten was like the way you manage people is through respect it's not through fear yeah so if they see the way you move and you you know continuously working hard and it shows that you're you know ambitious they're gonna respect you so when you do tell them to do something you know they're gonna do it so it makes it easier and then like i said before like y'all reach an understanding like i both have passion y'all both want to get the job done i yeah. don't want to get chewed out by your bosses so. right 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 um the job gets done a lot quicker and faster and it's like they're teaching me tons of things and it's just crazy because it's like it's really humbling because like i'm the person that's going to have this engineering degree that's supposed to hold some weight but these people don't have no education and they know way more than me. They know how to, you know, they're building the buildings, right? Yeah. And it's just crazy how we just look at it like a little different now. Like, man, they, I want to be like them. Yeah. I want to be able to build my own house. And it's like, I don't even have that experience. You know, I'm just learning it um, through a different, you know, through a different lens. So it's like, we're both learning from each other. So it's definitely a unique experience. And that's tough. And, you know, I think that type of, you know, interaction does definitely build respect because, you know, you got to treat the janitor just like you treat the CEO mm-hmm. almost, you know, and, sure. and that's, that's pretty tough. So um, I know you went up to um, D.C., I want to say back in what, September, October, you got to see that some structure. That was my birthday weekend, September 27th. Man. September 27th. Back. So, um, I, and this is so crazy, it's a funny story. So, um Give y'all a little background information on what you about to talk about. So I was literally on my phone one day and I was just chilling and I had gotten a flyer and it was like, take a tour of DC or something like that. Take a tour of the architect of DC. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going through it and I, you know, I scroll. I'm like, oh, that's what's up. That's cool. And then like, it just dawned on me, JC, that's his <laughs> like, oh, this is him right here. Let me send this to go. Let me send this to do it. And it was so crazy because. I think the deadline was like two days or three Definitely. days or something like that. And so you had gotten in, so I was excited. But I just remember seeing like on like some of your IG stories and stuff like that, like, you know, the different architectures and things mm-hmm. like that. Kind of talk about what piece of building or like what buildings you like in general throughout the world that like, you're just like, man, that's a tough building. Oh, man, that's 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 some work I want to kind of do. You know what I'm saying? What's some things that motivate you when you see it and yeah. you look at it? So, um... I just want to say I appreciate you, brother, for that experience, no for doubt, sure. No doubt. Uh, that event definitely, you know, changed my mindset a lot. Like, the possibilities are just endless. Like, it's tons. Even though they say it's only 2%, you know, African-Americans, you know, um, in architecture, Ooh. It's, it's a lot of people doing what we're doing. And we're doing it big. Like, just not at no small firms. Like, we're changing the game. Like, shifting the culture. Yeah. Like, we're creating these equitable spaces for us come on huh? 
but it's not you know it's not exposed to us unless you go into events like these yeah so i just want to say i appreciate you for that yeah no doubt. um uh, different types of architecture i'm a modern uh architecture type guy okay i like the glass yeah. i like this you know the sleekness like everything smooth simple yeah um I like being in those spaces, just inspiring, you know, it's just like clean cut, Mediterranean, just all, it's just, yeah, just, I get a high, yeah, for real. Yeah. It's like, dang, like, this is tough. Like, this is somebody's crib. It's just crazy. Like, I like buildings that inspire, like, like when I'm in the workforce, I don't want to be, you know, in an office with no windows, you know. I want the daylight to come through. I need na- to see nature. I want to be a part of something. I feel like when people are designing, you got to design spaces that, you know, are inspiring people or wanting people, you know, to be free. Yeah. Not closed in, not you feel trapped. Like, I just feel like I want to be outside, but still, you know, being inside of a space and just being in a good, clean environment. Yeah, feel connected. And, and, and that's tough, bro. And I can just hear the passion in you now, bro. I'm going to tell y'all that 2% is tough and you're a part of that 2%. So I just want to congratulate you on that about the 2% of African-Americans as architectural engineers. That's big, you know, and I believe that, you know, you have a ability to change that. And, I, you know, I can just, I know from the conversations that we have, man, you have aspirations to change that, that, that percentage and make you higher. So sure. that's big. But, you know, you hit me on that Mediterranean feel and, you know, those different things about the houses because I'm not going to say I know everything about homes. Uh, the biggest thing I know about homes, cause hey, listen, y'all, you know, I, you know, I know a little engineer. I took draft, <laughs> I took drafting one on one. So you know, my biggest thing and what I love is like framework. So like the one framework I do know, I'm not gonna name all of them. <laughs> I don't know all of them, but the main one is the Tudor style. Tudor style. Tudor style. I guess that's what it's called, or, or something like that. But it's like where you can actually see like the wooden framework on the outside of the home. I love that style, and it's yeah. it's it's so it's so dope because it's just like. It gives off like a, a a feel to you, like a lot of those homes that usually have like a bungalow that where or a Bangalore where you can walk over. Mm-hmm. I guess that's what you call it, or you can walk over to another connected house and different things like that. Like I told you, bro, you know, <laughs> I'm gonna send you my floor plan, you know, in a couple years, yeah, so you so you, you get me right. <laughs> but um, one home that I you know um when I went down to Miami, mm-hmm. we got to see some different homes, and we got to see the developments down there. And one of the big things down there that was really kind of, you know, different to me were these shotgun shotgun style homes that they had down there. And so they're basically like four by four homes, you know, and it, you know, honestly, you know, for for people to understand, they're kind of um, government owned homes. So like, you know, most of the people in the demographic that lives in those areas down there in, in Miami and stuff like that, that live in those shotguns, shotgun homes, you know, are either on fixed income you know, welfare and different things like mm-hmm. that. So as an architect, you know, I'm pretty sure when you get your contract, you're going to, you know, I, I know you're going to blow up, bro. So I, you know, I know you're going to hide in different contracts, but kind of talk about, you know, we'll start shifting it into, you know, the areas and the communities that you want to build for. You know what I'm saying? And I brought up the shotgun homes because that was one thing that came to my mind. So, you know, when you're building and you're doing these zonings and you're building these homes and they say, well, we want this specific house right here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, kind of talk about, you know, that type of space and going into there and like building for your people. You know what I'm saying? And the type of homes that they have and things like that. I think people don't give a lot of credit, you know, to design and, um, you know, um, the architects, you know, they have a huge responsibility because they're designing these spaces that have a huge impact 
uh, I went to the housing summit, and one thing that caught my eye, I didn't know, that the whole um, ceremony was about how houses affect health. Mm. Millions of dollars are, are paid through bills because of housing that needs improvement, you know? People yeah. are getting asthma. People are, you know, getting... Um, there's fires in these homes, and it's because people are not designing them right, and they're not constructing them right. Right. So it's crazy just to see how, like, that plays a huge role in then just health and public health and welfare. Yeah. And you see, you know, these government um, subsidized homes in the way they're designed. They're just stacked on stacked on stacked. Yeah. They're treating us like, you know like slavery like right right that shouldn't be a community like there's no spaces there's no you know gardens yeah like, there's not any space where you know people are conjugating in a healthy way right except when it's you know in dark spaces under the stairwell and and then that's why when i would get into you know selling drugs and stuff like these yeah. spaces aren't you know healthy so yeah it's just as a duty as an engineer and designer you have to make sure that you're designing spaces you know positive you know promoting positivity and not just like creating these spaces where they're not dwelling and comfortable and just making money tight joint too because a lot of people's mindset is the bread it's just the bread how many units i can fit can i get 100 units right squeeze these many people yeah it's crazy and and it's crazy because it's almost like packed sardines and so like that was the feeling that we got because i mean we were you know we were on this thing called like the big red bus so we were taking a tour and i was just like looking at and they're like the reason they call shotgun homes is because you could shoot a shotgun from the front door and the pellets would go straight out the back like it wouldn't even spray over the room like it wouldn't spread Mm -hmm. so i was like oh man that's that's rough and like these are one bedroom homes and these families like like i said mostly minorities are squeezed into these homes you know and you know i just think it's you know unfortunate but one thing i did want to kind of also talk about because you you talked about building living happy communities and I wanted to talk about, we, we have had those, mm-hmm. you know, we have had those communities where they're big and they're thriving. You know, we've had the view parks in, you know, California and we've had the, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the brownstones in, in Brooklyn, you know, those sure. different, those different communities that were built for us, you know, because, you know, we haven't always been afforded nor a lot of the same opportunities, of, of course, as our counterparts, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, it, that was big, you know, that, you know, that's always been big. So. You know, kind of talk about, you know, it, what was your experiences with, you know, the black community and, you know, having those black homes and black architecture, like in those neighborhoods and things like that, if you had any, you know, and, you know, your upbringing and stuff like that. So I'm from the suburbs. I'm from Baltimore County. So yeah. I grew up in a subdivision, um, single family homes. Yeah. But just, you know, being close like a 20 minute drive to the city, you see the difference, you know? I was blessed enough to be in a neighborhood where it was what, you know, middle-class families with kids that I could, you know, um, play basketball outside. The space were designed properly, you know? Yeah. But um, for some of my friends and counterparts that lived in the city, they didn't have that luxury. Right. You know, um, they were forced to move outside of their neighborhoods. They didn't have the resources inside the neighborhoods. Mm. So they were coming to the county, you know, for rec leagues or to do certain activities. Yeah. So I'll say that it's a big difference in these inner cities, which is, I don't know if we're talking about it later, but it's just ironic how, you know, the cities are supposed to be something that's valuable, you know, these urban areas. Yeah. They're supposed to have the resources. And it's just crazy how everything is moving. It's flipping. 
is yeah it's going to the outskirts and um i actually saw a post that you posted i want to say maybe a week ago and it was a it was a crazy illustration but it was about basically like it was it was like a city then you had like this like a little talk bubble where it was like hey let's move outside the city and then it kept kind of going on i think it was like the great ring around the city or something like that and um it was just crazy because you know, over time, you know, first, you, like you said, you know, you had the city and everybody want to live in the city. But then, of course, you know, the city, then you start having subsidized homes. So people then created the suburbs. And, you know, of course, the suburbs branched out after, you know, World War Two and those different things like that. And, you know, the architect, you know, the architecture blew up. That's when you started getting neighborhoods and, you know, different things like that. But then you started seeing them move back in. And so now the new people and the new populace that take over are minorities that take over these suburbs. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing that I've been seeing and one thing that, you know, I know that was big on the things to talk about was gentrification. So, you know, how now, you know, these neighborhoods that were abandoned, yeah. you know, because, quote unquote, we need to move out farther, you know, to get away from the mess or whatever it is, you know, now you have these individuals who are now coming back into these neighborhoods and, you know, kind of buying it out and then forcing the minority inhabitants, the blacks, the Hispanics, the Latinos out into, you know, situations that would not necessarily accommodate them as their communities would have. What do you kind of see about that gentrification? And then you as an architect, what do you think about it and, you know, the role that it's playing? Yeah, so for sure, like historically, um, blacks were strategically placed in what they call ghettos, right? You know? And these were close to the inner cities, you know, close proximity to the urban areas, right? But as you said, um, as people are starting to realize, like everything's in the city, like um, more people were moving to the suburbs to get away from the ghettos, right. whether it was violence or because, like you said, um, you know, lack of attention yeah. to improving the communities. So I just say as an architect or somebody like me who's an aspiring developer, we got to buy back, you know, these areas, these homes. Definitely. Because the government are not funding um, as they should. Yeah. And um, they're using eminent domain to, you know, whether it's putting a new highway through a community. And it's just detrimental to not only physically as the actual building structure, but just as people. Right. So as a developer, we just got to buy back and sell it back and improve it. Right. And it, and and I think I think that's big and I think that's that's the way that you can combat it because you know, I you know, like you say, you know, I, I myself, you know, I I was fortunate enough and allotted the you know, opportunity to be in a, you know, middle class family, you know, be able to be above water, you know, not necessarily have to be exposed to some of the, you know, trauma that goes on through the ghetto. Because, you know, a lot of people like to look at the ghetto or say the ghetto is, oh, you know, that's the hood. You know what I'm saying? And in actuality, it's not. You know, the ghetto is really made up of beautiful people. Yeah. You know, people who are really, you know, champions of their circumstances, you know, because when you go in these situations, you know, these are people who are beaten back tremendous odds, you know, and, you know, everybody wants to say, well, you know, they can, you know, I pull myself up. Why can't they? But if you look at it from a grander scheme. You know, the system is built against these minorities because, you know, if you think about it, if you give these people a chance, you know, if they're on welfare and that's all they're used to and you don't give them, you know, another outlook like education, you know, like we're afforded, you know, they're not going to think, well, we can 
learn ourselves out of this situation. Yeah. They're just going to be used to, well, I'm going to just wait for that check to come in every month and live there. But then, you know, people just kind of see like the resources, like you said earlier in there and see the value of it and take over. So you um, you're from that Baltimore area, you're from up north, that DMV area. Um, and I know one thing that you brought up and brought to my attention was the things going on in D.C. right now. And I know one of the big movements about culture, not necessarily gentrification, but, you know, gentrification actually comes from a lack of understanding of a culture. You know, a lot of these individuals are, you know, gentrifying these culturally um, rich areas of the United States because they don't necessarily understand. And uh, I know one thing you brought to my attention and it just shocked me was, you know, the I think it's called Mute DC. Yeah, Don't Mute DC. Don't Mute DC. So kind of talk about, you know, those different things that are going on in that area for people that don't know about the movement and, and what's going on there. For sure. So, like, as Baltimore people, like, we always got, like, a friendly beef with D.C. people. Oh, yeah. They, like... Well, we making truces out here. <laughs> we making truces. They down the, they down the highway, uh, but, nah. Um, but just looking at it from afar, it's just like, wow, like, we joke a lot, but it's like, nah, D.C. is, like, you know, it used to be called the Chocolate City. Like, yeah. it's a lot of black people that I know in D.C., and it's just crazy um, how quickly it's being gentrified. Yeah. And how our people are being displaced. Yeah. Not only our people, our culture. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, Don't Mute DC was basically, you know, a hashtag movement started um, for people to protect the culture in DC, specifically the go-go music that's typically played, you know, outside of different stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically the neighbors who have just, you know, entered these communities right. that probably just rented these uh, luxury apartments. They're not used to the noise, yeah. and they're complaining. They complain to T-Mobile saying, oh, um, somebody who owns one of your stores is playing loud go-go music. They don't understand that go-go music has been played for many, many of years, you know? Yeah. Like, that's a D.C. staple, and they're trying to disrupt it, and they're um, trying to get rid of, you know, our culture, our sound. Yeah. And it's just crazy. And it's good to see that the people of D.C. were coming together in a big, big, you know, way. And saying nah, like we're here to stay. Like they were having uh, the go-go music playing real loud. Like yeah, hey, they shouldn't have messed with them now because they hearing it for sure now. So. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. That's tough. And uh, I had a, I had a classmate that was from D.C. and she was telling me about it and telling me how you know the community is really you know kind of gathering together and trying to you know kind of stop that you know stop you know stop the encroachment on their culture you know and i i think it's big you know i'm from down south you know so you know when go-go music came down here my first experience with go-go music and all that stuff man was hit like literally my freshman year at the t and i'm gonna tell you right now i have never seen something so crazy in my life i thought y'all was shouting at first when y'all was beating your feet and stuff like that once i knew it i was like what is going on and like y'all was like to me I was like, man, they murdering, they murdering the songs. Like, <laughs> why is it so many beats? But over time, you know, I grew to actually like it. So, you know, I I I accepted it. I was like, man, yeah, this is a part of the culture, you know. So, you know, me seeing it from the outside looking in, you know, it definitely is, you know, a little heart wrenching to see people trying to take it away. But I also love, I love the effort to combat it. Um, another thing that I thought was funny that you also showed me was what, what happened at Howard, you know, for people that don't know, 
um, you know, Howard is literally in the middle of a neighborhood. It's in the middle of a community in D.C. Um, and, you know, like 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 uh, my brother said, you know, these individuals are buying up these wealthy apartments and things like that. And I'm going to let you talk about that experience because I thought it was wild. I was like, oh, this is crazy. It was a whole news story, but I'm going to let you I'm going to let you take that one away. Sure. Like not even weeks after, um, you know, the don't mute D.C., it was another problem, you know, right at Howard University. I got tons of people that uh, attend Howard University and just seeing like on their Twitter pages like what was going on but basically you know the new people that are coming in yeah. <laughs> into the city or walking their dogs on you know the famous and historical um yard of howard yeah you know the same yard that's you know where you know the black students fellow this is their safe space you know yeah. we don't have many safe spaces at all right so for them to walk their dogs is just you know completely disrespect and it was just nice to see again like howard they wasn't having that right um even like their uh it's not their chancellor but you know the leader of their school yeah and you know put out like no we're not having it like there's no meeting in the middle like this is our space a private university right and then you have the nerve to you know getting cameras say they need to move the campus that's crazy like yeah that was wild to me when i saw that i said move the campus <laughs> like hey brother do you not know this campus <laughs> this is like the 1800s my man like yeah, like this is history you know you you know and it was it was tough, you know, when I when I saw it, I was like, whoa, this is really happening. And, you know, I know a lot of people have those trigger things, but, you know, when you had sent it to me, I wish it was, like, trigger warning. <laughs> I was like, when I watched it, I was like, oh, no, this yeah. dude did not just say move to campus. And it was just, you know, at first it was alarming, but over time, you know, people made memes and different things on it, so it became comical. Right. But, you know, one thing that, you know, I kind of did my research about, you know, the historical neighborhoods in Washington, I know one of the big ones or one of the areas, U Street, Washington, I believe. And so, you know, when I was looking over the history and, you know, the culture there, you had a lot of black excellence, you know, in that area. And I think that's something that we're kind of missing in America a little bit. Not saying there is no black excellence, but we're missing those utopias, those Mm -hmm. areas where we're coming out and we're producing those black engineers, those, you know, black doctors, those whatever you want to be. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I'm big on the principle it takes a village to raise Mm -hmm. a child, you know. So, you know, the distortion of the communities is at a high rate. You know, of course, you have the incarceration rate, the murder rate, different things like that are taking place. But, you know, in these communities, in these utopias that we used to have, you know, if mama said come in at a certain time, you had to be there. You know what I'm saying? I know, but U Street was, you know, U Street was a was a big example of that. And you know, from my understanding, you know, in the '60s, you know, riots and things like that, and you know, the influx of drugs, you know, deprived that neighborhood and deprived that community of a lot of its leaders and a lot of the things that you know were going on in in that area. And then, you know, it depreciated the value of the land. And sure. then now you have these individuals who might have the money or who do have the money coming back in and buying these homes in U Street, Washington, which is a predominantly black neighborhood. So one of the ladies, um, it was an awful article. I want to say it was Biz News that I actually got this um, article from, but it was a 93-year-old woman. And it was amazing, you know, had great wit, had every knowledge about her. But she said, 
I love, you know, I love you, Street. You know, I remember seeing, the, you know, the little boys and girls running around. But she said, it's not us anymore. Mm-hmm. She said, it doesn't feel like home. And, you know, the people that still have the opportunity to still live in these neighborhoods and things like that. You know, what are some ways that you feel like as an architect or some ways that you feel like as a person, you feel like these individuals, what should they do in these positions when the people are trying to come and buy their home? You know, what do you say to those people? You know, because I know it's easy for some of us to be like, well, if if if, if I don't see me, I'm about to move out. You know what I'm saying? And that's what's going on. But, you know, what would you say to those people who still own those homes in those areas that are kind of being taken over? That's that's good. I'm like it's hard though because it's like you know the neighborhood that you've grown up in that you've grown to love is just not the same anymore. Right. So I would just encourage them, you know, to try to get you know black ownership within these neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, but it's really the developers' responsibility. Right. Um, we could get into like the semantics of what gentrification is because in general gentrification is just. Um, improving a space or the construction to have um, to peace, you know, to the middle class. Right. But it doesn't really necessarily have to be displacing the people that's already been there. Yeah. But as we tough. know, that's been you know a direct result of it. You're right. So you just gotta be careful with you know how you use gentrification. Like I know in the Jay Z freestyle, he talked about gentrify your own hoods, and everybody was mad. Yeah. It's just like you gotta think about what he was saying. He was saying like, improve these spaces, you know, redevelop them. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you know, sell them to the people that need these spaces. Right. Right. So it's just crazy. Like, we gotta we gotta buy back our communities. Right, and that's tough because, you know, Jay-Z, you know, we all look up the Hove. You know, I know I look up the Hove, and I'm like, yo, that's the dude, you know, he's actually doing and living by what he's talking about. So, you know, when I heard that lyric and when I heard him at Freestyle, you know, me personally, I didn't take a face to it. I'm like, okay, y'all, come on. This is Jay-Z you're talking about. You really think he's going to say something that's going to, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's going to mess us up and set us back. But one thing that I kind of took from it, you know, was, you know, it also has to deal with ownership. You know, I think it's big to own things, you know, and I know everybody, you know, might not have the mindset to own, mm-hmm. you know, entrepreneurship and all this different things. And I'm not, you know, sitting here saying, oh, if you don't own something, you know, you ain't nothing. You know, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying if you have the opportunity to own something, you have the opportunity to have your name on something, on a deed, on a on a loan or something to your to your name, to your effect, that's big. Because if you think about it, you know, our great great grandmothers ancestors and things like that you know after slavery we were given an acre and a mule that's the famous line you know what i'm saying i just want my anchor my acre and a mule or whatever you know what i'm saying but in 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 hindsight they really weren't getting that because you know you had almost again you know um indentured servitude because they were basically paying exorbitant amounts of money to keep that land but not to go into that tangent but you know it, you know it was it was it was whack and it was jacked up so, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, trying to own own your stuff because, you know, the stuff you own, they can't take from you. And really read, read what you're signing and read what you're, you know, you're putting your name to as well, because, you know, not everybody has your greatest interest. You know, you got to read the fine print. And I know, like, um, one of the biggest things that, you know, I actually kind of knew about the real estate, you know, debacle in 2008, you know, my parents 
thank God they were able to kind of escape that, like maybe in like early 2006, you know, 06, 05 time, I think, when, you know, my parents were building a home. And it was crazy because these banks were giving out loans, Mm -hmm. subprime loans to African-Americans. And, you know, the interest rates would literally skyrocket. So, you know, when the you know economy blew up, I don't know everything about it, but I just know it definitely set back a lot of African-Americans financially, took away a lot of their, you know, money and put them in debt. Right. And it displaced them as well because you had many floor closures and things like that. And these are nice homes. And so that was another way for, you know, individuals to come in and gentrify or take over those areas. And I thought that was big. And I was just like, yo, that's wild. So, yeah, bro, it, it's crazy. You know, it, it's, it's crazy to see this stuff. But um, I want to kind of end, end, you know, kind of go into like, you know, uh, uh, ending um, with this for you and posing you a question. Yeah. And I want to see, you know, how you can answer this. You know, this is your 30 seconds of jeopardy. So <laughs> what set you five years ahead? You know, or 10 years ahead. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying five because I know you're going to be great within that time period. But let's just give you, let's give you some wiggle room. 10 years. In 10 years, you own your own architectural firm, right? Yeah. What do you think your goal is to kind of change the landscape of architecture for your community, for your demographic? What do you think your plans are in kind of, you know, doing that? So in 10 years, I want to be able to create, you know, equitable spaces, you know, for the people, for the culture. Right. Um, you know, designing developments that have our people um, not only living, but, you know, providing workshops, programs, safe spaces. Right. Um, one thing that Nipsey uh, Hustle inspired me to do is he has this thing called Vector 90 in California. Yeah. And he gets people to rent out spaces for their businesses. Right. And it's just a safe space, you know, for young black entrepreneurs. Mm. I feel like we need more spaces specifically, you know, in these cities, in these urban areas. Right. So that's one um one thing I plan to do. And also, you know, the youth. Mm-hmm. We need to focus on the youth. Um you just educating them about the different possibilities, um, teaching them about, you know, the architecture profession and, you know, letting them do, you know, recreations, having leagues and of that nature. Right. So just producing, you know, just these ideas and, um, you know, really watering the roots of our youth. Right. Um, that's one thing that I really want to focus on. So, in 10 years, we'll see, man. We're going to have to do, you know, flashback. Flashback. Yeah, flashback podcast. Well, hopefully, you know, you know, if God, you know, if God helps a brother out, you know, I have a show or something, you know, it just depends, man, you know. Um, sure. It's coming, it's coming. Hey, man, I'm praying, man, I'm praying. But um, anyhow, man, look, man, it's been great. It's been great. But I want the people to kind of um, know what you got going on. I know you have, you know, graduation, May, you know, May what, May 10th or May 11th? May 11th. May 11th. So, you know, be on the lookout for my brother there. Um, tell the people where they can catch you at, you know, via Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Yes, LinkedIn. sir. Yes, sir. Instagram, um, Eric Jordan. That's the H-E-I-R underscore J-O-R-D-A-N. LinkedIn, Jordan Carter. Um, Twitter, Eric Jordan. 
I follow back. I'm not going to do y'all dirty. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, just don't hit the DM for the money, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying, man? We got to get a guard dog. But that's what's up, bro. Look, man, I appreciate you, for man. For sure, for sure. Now, y'all know on this show right here, you know, I love, you know, to give back in the, in the aspect of knowledge and power. You know, knowledge is power. You know what I'm saying? As a man think of so is he, you know, our people die because of, you know, a lack of knowledge. So, you know, I want to leave y'all with a book of the week. You know, this is a series, a recurring theme on here. And so the book this week, I haven't, I'm, I'm about to read it, you know, so don't, don't be like, well, have you read it? No, no, I haven't, but I, I will. So the book is by Matthew um, C. S. Y. E. D. Um, and it's called Black Box Thinking, The Surprising Truth About Success. And so, you know, and just reading it, it was, it was, it was big because, um, you know, he's basically talking about how to redefine what you view success as being. You know, I know we all kind of get caught up in, you know, what, you know, Cardi B looks like or what, you know, black youngster got. And, you know, I applaud those individuals, but I think we need to redefine success for ourselves in the relative means of how we can get it. And, you know, I think that's a big thing. And, um, you know, definitely go check that out, man, and, 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 and get it in your get it in your spirit. I think you can get it. Um you might be able to get it on Amazon Prime. Well, I'm not going to say you might be able to. I'm pretty sure you can get it on Amazon Prime. Um, Barnes and Nobles, you know, those different things like that. Um, so listen to this. I'm also going to leave you all with the quote of the day. And this one's by Stokely Carmichael. And the quote is, the secret of life is to have no fear. It's the only way to function. Mm. That's tough, right? I like that. I like that. I like you that. Snap it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's tough, man. That's tough. So listen, man, as always, live in peace, live with happiness, live with hope. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, live without fear. You know what I'm saying? You you, you are your greatest competition. You're your greatest enemy. Once you step out your way, you can conquer anything in this world, man. I love y'all, you know, and, you know, I appreciate my boy Jordan for coming on here again, man. And, Hey, had to pull up, bro. Definitely, man. Definitely, man. So, hey, we'll holler at you later, man. I appreciate y'all.